This month's episodes concern a topic that can be traumatic, uncomfortable, or even activating for some listeners. The Passionate Stewardship Podcast and brand do not aim to evoke this response in anyone. Instead, we want to bring education, awareness, hope, and healing to anyone who is a victim and survivor of domestic violence. If you or someone you know is currently a victim of domestic violence, help and support are available. Please call your local domestic violence response organization or contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. The call is free and confidential and someone is available to support you 24-7, 365 days a year. You can also chat online or text START, that's S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Shear. It is October and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And as I have shared on the podcast several times in my daytime life, I have the privilege of being the executive director for a domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking response organization in North Carolina. I thought it would be amazing to have some of the amazing women that I work with today come on the podcast and lend their voice and also expertise to domestic violence. So on the podcast today, I have actually friend to the podcast, Mrs. Jancel Melendez, victim advocate at Wesley Shelter. Hey, Jancel. Hi, thank you for having me back. Nice to be with you again, especially with this amazing topic that is very important for the community and for all your listeners. And we also have Macy Billiard, and she is our safe house case manager. Hey, Macy. Hello. And we also have our bilingual outreach and engagement specialist, Maria Romero. Hey, Maria. Hello. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, ladies, so much for taking your time this evening after working, literally working all day and being a part of this conversation. So how about we start this conversation with each of you just telling our listeners how you support our victims and survivors who come into the office and also how you show up for your communities. I'm Jensel Melendez. You already introduced me. I am the lead sexual assault advocate for the Wesley Shelter. And we are providing always services regarding domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. At this time, most of our clients are domestic violence. And I also show up in the community by being part of the Wilson Leadership Institute. And my mission with that is to be able to provide and let them know about the 
services we do provide at the Wesley Shelter. That was my main goal, be able to connect with other leaders, letting them know what we do in the Wesley Shelter for our victims. Awesome. How about you, Maria? So I'm the bilingual outreach and engagement specialist at the Wesley Shelter. I work with the community, letting them know about our services. I attend to different events that we do in the community. I have a lot of connections with the Wilson Police Department, Sheriff Department, the hospital, the colleges in Wilson, just to let them know that our services are available for the community. Awesome. And you, Macy? Hi, I'm Macy. I'm the Safe House Case Manager. What I do is I help individuals who come into our shelter services, whether it be male or female, pretty much bridge the gap between being in a shelter and being towards independence. But that's very simplistic version of what I do because independence looks different for everybody. Right. So that could be as something as small as making sure a kid has shoes for school. That could be signing people up for college, jobs, navigating the housing market right now. It's really never boring and never the same every single day. Cleaning the house, mopping floors, all of the above. So let's get into the nitty gritty of this conversation today. So, of course, again, it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This is a really busy month for us because we are the only response organization in our county and in our city. We get requests all month long, starting in August, to show up to different community events, to speak, to table, to provide information on domestic violence. And a part of that is also to provide the community with information about our organization. So y'all don't all jump out there at one time. But let's just talk about some of the services that Wesley Shelter provides, because some of our listeners, a lot of our listeners actually are in the Wilson community. And I know right now we are really big on redefining who we are as an organization and just really putting ourselves out there in the community. So let's just talk about some of the services, the overview of the services that we provide at Wesley Shelter. So if I am a person who is in need of services, what can I expect if I come into the Wesley Shelter? First of all, you'll be completing some forms so that we can have your basic information. We'll provide advocacy and we'll go more into detail about what are your needs at the time so that we can be able to redirect you. We, within our advocacy, we help our clients complete their legal forms. We walk with them to the courthouse. We're with them when it's their um, court date. We also, sometimes we do have clients that they don't want to do the legal part, but they're seeking counseling. They're seeking legal advice. So we do provide those services as well. We also provide them with relocation services, shelter. If the, um, that's something they're seeking and they do qualify for that, they do have to go through a screening. We also provide food, we provide clothes, and any other necessities regarding utilities or toiletries that they might need at that time. Because what we all know is that a lot of times clients will call us and they just aren't ready 
to leave that situation. They are calling us just to see what some of their options are. But Macy, if a man or woman, if they were ready to leave their that abusive relationship, what could they expect from the emergency shelter side of things? For an emergency shelter, what someone can expect is to either call the crisis line, come into our offices. That's really the two big ways that people get in touch with us. They will go through a screening process that we are all well-trained on. And then they're, when they're brought into our shelter, we do, yes, we also do paperwork. We do the intake, but we definitely make sure to meet them with grace. We have stopped in the middle of an intake and said, hey, are you and your kids hungry? Hey, let's get you behind a closed door with a hot shower. We make sure that nobody goes hungry in our shelter they have clothing, socks. Once And once that emergency part, I guess the first rushing into our shelter subsides a little bit, then as the case manager, I walk in to see what do your kids need? What do you need? Is that therapy? Sometimes they just want to talk to someone. And so it could be something as small as that or something as big as calming them down for them to say, hey, look, you are safe here and I'm here to listen. I'd like to think that, yes, we provide tangible things, but I'd like to think that we also provide a lot of intangible things for our clients. DV is such such a tricky thing to maneuver with an individual because not everybody is ready to leave. They just want to, sometimes they just call our crisis line just because they know someone is on the opposite end and they just want to just let it out. They just want to know that someone is on the other end. Someone cares. Someone is listening to what I have to say. And the flip side to that is sometimes what a person needs is beyond our bandwidth. And that's where outreach comes in. So Maria, can you speak to some of the outreach efforts that you engage in within the organization that help our victims and survivors at Wesley Shelter and why outreach is so important. Yes. So outreach is important because I get to go out into the community, into different organizations, schools, hospitals, and talk about our services and let them know that we are there 24 hours or crisis lines are always available and that we are always open for them to know about our services. And it's important for me to go to different businesses because we can explain to them about the services we have and they can help their employees in case they have a staff member or someone they work with going through a domestic violence situation. They know um, who to reach. They know who to call for us to help. So and also for my events, I get to meet a lot of different people that also can bring services to us and that can help our clients. And I get their information and I bring it back to the office and share it with my staff member, with the case management. That way I can help my coworkers also help our client. Right. So let's talk about some misconceptions because there are a lot of misconceptions around domestic violence. And there are a lot of, to me, stupid questions that people ask. One of those questions I touched on the first episode this month, and that's the question of why don't they just leave? 
to ask that question of someone, it's accusatory. It's almost as it's almost making that victim feel like they want the abuse. So what are some common misconceptions or myths around domestic violence that we encounter often in our work that we do in the agency? We can have a whole episode about the misconceptions and the myths, but let's just talk about a few of them that we often see. One that I see often is that a victim looks like from this socioeconomic class, this race, this gender, Mm -hmm. anything else above that or any other kind of category is just so hard for people to wrap their minds around. We see individuals in the shelter who have a nice car, who come from more of a wealthier background. And they're, it's such a common misconception of how are they in a shelter and how did it get to that point? And I think we just tend to think of a victim as a certain type of person. So when something contradicts that idea, we have to make an excuse for it. Right. And that's something we see a lot of, especially with male clients as well, mm-hmm. is if their abuser is so small or if that oh, that's the mother of your child or a lot of our male victims, I would go as far as to say that they've probably been abused a lot longer than when they showed up because of the stigmas that are placed against them. And also, I've heard you all come back from court and say how systems outside of ours don't even look at those cases the same as they do those where the victim is a child or the victim is a female. It's almost looked at as if, okay, you're a man, so how do you allow this to happen to you versus when it happens to a woman. Abuse is abuse across the board, regardless who it happens to. And first episode in October, it's how disproportionately domestic violence is reported when it comes to men, how disproportionately it's reported when it comes to African-American men, because the way we are gunned down by police officers, a lot of times it goes underreported because Nobody wants police officers showing up at their house. But we also see oftentimes how with the order in hand, police will show up and still nothing happens. So Jancel, I see you you trying to jump into the conversation like we playing jump rope. So what you got? <laughs> I, no, I love misconception, as you mentioned. It's a topic that we can be here all month. And I really love that Macy just talked about that one that's a really important one and it's unfortunately to have that misconception but I also wanted to bring in the fact that many people think that domestic violence is only physical abuse right and it does not it includes economic abuse verbal abuse emotionally abuse and it's so sad because I don't want to pinpoint anyone but sometimes our legal system also makes that same misconception like oh if the the person the the women or the men or the children has no physical evidence of the abuse they will actually deny in on order and it's no it's not just 
the physical abuse. It's also verbally. So, so emotionally, we recently had a case and it's economically, financially. So yes, I want our listeners to know that it's not just physical abuse. It includes all of those and much more. And when you say just for those that are listening that might not be as versed as we are, when you say in order, what are you referencing? So I'm talking about the ex parte. There's two type of orders. We have the ex parte where there's an immediate danger. So the judge will actually look at it. And if it's granted, that order will only be in place for about 10 days. It's something temporary. So that person can be safe and protected until they have a court date. And then in the court date, the other party should be there because that party should be served. And then both parties are able to talk about their situation and the judge will make a decision either to grant it for a year or it's denied. And then the other is a regular order where there's no immediate danger, but yet they are actions of domestic violence. And then the same process, both parties will be served. They will be at court and then each one of them will tell their side of what they're telling. And I don't like to say it's story because it's not a story, but of course, we usually use Mm -hmm. that word. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the same, the judge will either grant or dismiss based on what they testified at court. Okay. Let's talk about some signs that someone might be in an abusive relationship. And like you just said, it, it can look different for everybody because we see it all. We see the physical when someone walks through our doors and we can see the physical signs of abuse. But then there are the non-physical signs that, in my opinion, take a lot longer for victims to overcome. That healing, bruises can heal, but the emotional impact that domestic violence can have on an individual or even the financial impact for a harm doer to mess up someone's credit we see far too often how financial abuse impacts victims to the point that they can't even qualify for an apartment or can't even open up a brick and mortar bank account and have to go for these check cash and place type accounts because their harm doer has messed up their credit so bad. So what are some of the signs that someone might be in an abusive relationship? And how can someone who is not versed like we are, that we are that they aren't the experts like we are, How can they support them or how can their colleague support them? How can the person who works at Chick-fil-A see that their colleague is in an abusive relationship? How can she support that colleague? I think some signs of being in an abusive relationship that we cannot see a lot of times are when they start isolating from their family members, from Mm -hmm. their friends. When they're going through depression, they might be having anxiety, and we don't see that. We might just see a a smile on their faces. And those are invisible wounds that we don't see, the trauma, the things that go through their head. They might be having suicidal thoughts that we don't know of. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if you know someone that's going through that, 
whether it's a family member or a friend, I think the best thing to do is be there for them, show them support. And whenever they're ready to get some help, just let them know you're there and provide a crisis line number for them. Whenever they're ready to seek help, they can call. But support, I think it's the main thing that a family or friend can do for a victim. So, Maria, I think you really said that beautifully because I think when it comes to advice to give colleagues, I think something we all forget is when we hear someone we care about is being harmed, we want to rush in and we're going to we're going to help them. We're going to help pack their stuff up. They're going to come stay with us. We're going to get them right. But it's not just about if they're ready. It's also about making sure you're also safe because you can very easily put yourself in a dangerous situation trying to do something that is almost innate in humans. So knowing when to intervene with the police or knowing, just like Maria said, sometimes just maintaining an open line of communication can go a long way because they may not be ready, but they sometimes just having that comfort that this person knows my story and doesn't ask me why I'm not leaving, doesn't ask me, am I done, but just exists can do so much because one of the biggest things I see in the shelter is what really helps people is honestly having a support system. And it's so easy for that support system to get exhausted from trying to save, quote unquote, the victim when they're not ready. Right. You know, Macy, you brought up a really good point. Western Shelter takes part. We collaborate with Barton College, which is the college that's very local to our organization. And we take part, we work in collaboration with them on a lot of things. But one of the events in particular, it's called Take Back the Night. And it's their DV awareness event that's held on their campus every October. And one of the things that they ask for us to do, which is always really, really hard for me, is to find the list of all of the murders that have happened in North Carolina from last October to this October. And from October of last year to October of this year, there were 67 murders. 53 of those happened just in 2023. Several of those were individuals who intervened on behalf of someone who was being abused. So it goes back to Macy's point that You want to be present to that friend or that colleague that is being victimized, but you have to be careful yourself. One of them was a a young woman who was in an apartment building that wasn't even the building that the abuse was happening and a bullet came through the wall and killed her. But several of them were someone who was helping a friend flee a situation. Many of them were murder-suicides. Unfortunately, one of those was one of our clients, which which hit us like a bomb. You know, this work, and I say many times on this podcast, regardless of what population 
you are working with in the human services field, this is not easy work to do. This is not easy work to do. Um, it takes a special person to do this work. And of course, I might be a little biased, but the folks that work at Wesley Shelter are a special group of people because they not just give their energy, but they give their whole selves to working with these women and men and children who come to the table with so much. And lately, we've been seeing a lot of secondary victims of domestic violence. And when we refer to secondary victims, we're talking about children. And that has been a lot. Macy and I have been having a lot of conversations lately about just the number of children that we have been seeing and just how that has been impacting them. And I know, Maria, I'm about to put you on the spot. Because Maria has just done an amazing job with developing this safe space for our children on Thursday night. So Thursday night, one of our other amazing advocates, Miss Emelina Marsh, she is our Hispanic outreach advocate. And on Thursday night, she has a group for our Hispanic victims and survivors. And... Many years ago, Wesley Shelter started this before I took the role as the executive director, but we didn't want childcare to be the reason why moms didn't come for this group. So they started the youth services group. And we've struggled to get it up off the ground, but, and we've even struggled lately, but we're not going to even go there. Why? But we got a good flow going now. And Maria, can you talk a little bit about, and many of these children are, sec all of these children are primary victims of abuse or a lot of them are secondary victims of abuse. But Maria, can you speak to that group on Thursday nights for children? Sure. So our group is every Thursday from 530 to 7 and we have a domestic violence support group that takes place and while the moms are down there doing their class we're upstairs with the kids from ages 10 to 18 and we also have child care for the little ones and we work together with 4-H and Wesley Shelter to provide services for these kids and they do a whole bunch of different programs they're going to teach them life skills they're going to teach them about drugs, drug abuse, teach them about their health, about self-care, about how to deal with bullying at school, how to talk to their parents, and things that will benefit these kids that, that really helps them a lot. They love the program, and it helps the mother as well to take advantage of our domestic violence support group and not have an excuse of not being able to go because of childcare, like you said. So that way, all ages of kids are covered while the 
parents are also benefiting from the services. That's so awesome. I'm so glad we were finally able to get a consistent, good group to come in. And the fact that they even provide summer programming. So this just doesn't have to stop once, like the school year. This doesn't have to stop when Thursday evening is over. Like this can continue on even during the summer. So I want to jump in. Please do it. Regarding Maria's job, which has been amazing because I want our listeners to know the important of this program. Why? Because secondary victims is real. It's something that happens. And we have a happy story and I want to share it with our listeners. We actually had long time ago victim that was served within the Wesley shelter. And because a program like this existed, it helped this young man or child at the time, which nowadays today he offered. He's so grateful for the Wesley shelter and for the program that Maria built up again that he actually wanted to volunteer and be part of the program. And those are the results of the work that Maria is doing and the the work that we are all doing within the Wesley Shelter. And I wanted to put that out there that we do have happy endings as well. It don't always feel like it, but we definitely, definitely do. I mean, we, it, I think Macy and I were having this conversation the other day. Like sometimes things are so heavy, but then you have moments like the client that Macy is working with now who wants to come in and help find and wants help with finding employment and it's just flourishing on her own with her babies and you can't you can't make some of this stuff up that we do experience <laughs> but when the beautiful moments happen it makes all the ugliness so worth it so worth it many survivors might feel hesitant to seek help for a number of reasons. What advice would you give someone if there is anyone listening right now who might be in an abusive relationship and they're considering seeking assistance? What advice would you give them? The advice I would give is to have multiple plans. Have a plan for if you can leave and on your own terms, you can leave you calmly, you can pack the stuff you need, things such as that. You can take your memorabilia and your heirlooms, but also have another plan for if that's not the case, if it escalates and it's time to go now, make sure our safety plans include where are you putting your purse? Where are you putting your keys? Where is the birth certificate, social security cards? We have plenty of individuals who show up with absolutely nothing but they said at least I'm so glad I got my vital records or I'm sorry I wasn't able to flee with them and and that's totally fine you got to us but I think having not just this one plan will at least give you some if not confidence but at least okay so if it gets really bad I do this but if I can leave on my own terms I do this and maybe a few plans in between. So I also want to add that Macy, that information that Macy provided, the safety plan is absolutely something that we should always do with our clients. But one of the advices that I always do is reach out in your own time, 
for nonprofits out there near you or near places that you can relocate when you decide to leave or when actually an emergency is happening. Mm -hmm. So if you do that in advice, at least, hey, I can call this number. This is not, there's a nonprofit in this area, it's 24-7 open. In those type of things, that's also really important. Aside, as Macy mentioned, of having copy of the important documents, having an extra key, having some money in clothes hidden somewhere, not necessarily within the house, but with a friend in your job, somewhere that if you have to leave immediately, you know where you can go and reach out for that and at least have the most important things that will be useful for you. Mm -hmm. And what the ladies are referring to is a safety plan. So having a safety plan prepared and different levels of safety plans. And I think an important part of that is talking to someone that you can trust, talking to someone that your harm doer can't manipulate into telling them or telling him or her where you've gone. That is super, super important. Um, I think I said it on the first episode this month. Like, if your home doer is giving you $20 for something, tuck a little dollar here, tuck a dollar here, then tuck $2 here, tuck a 25 Like, just start preparing yourself if you can. If you, if we are the place that you come to and you can't get those basic entitlements, like your identification and your birth certificate, like, Wesley Shelter and many other domestic violence organizations, they will support and help you get those kinds of vital records again. But if you, even if you can get a photocopy of it, just so your harm doer won't see that, oh, the birth certificate is missing or social security guard is missing. If you can get a photocopy of it, that will be supportive into helping you on your next step and hiding things. It's also important to, when you are able, if you ever get the opportunity to flee, to to know how to take the location off your phone. So he or she can't follow you where you are going. I can't stress enough to, if you are that friend, be a trusting friend. Be that person that, won't disclose where that person is fleeing to or when the last time was that you heard from him or her because her anonymity, her confidentiality, when she or he does decide to leave that relationship is the utmost importance. We see this a lot and this could also be a whole nother podcast episode in itself but oftentimes domestic violence it intersects with other other issues like substance use and mental health one of the things that we do have the privilege of having on staff is a therapist our therapist is not someone who is there every day she does not prescribe medication and it's often hard for us to maneuver the mental health, the substance use, the domestic violence and everything. So can we speak to how we do try to maneuver it all? 
So I know for the safe house, it's apparent everywhere because it does all intersect. But a lot of times we are watching that play out immediately in front of our eyes as far as a mental health heightened situation, a detox situation. And how we tend to handle it is we'll either do some crisis intervention. Once again, we always lead with respect regardless of what that person is either consuming or what that person is trying to deal with. And as a case manager, I go at their pace. So if they fled without their medication, then that's my first priority. If they're uneasy about therapy, maybe I'll put that out there. But then I'm still going to go at their pace of, I don't know if I'm ready. Okay, that is your decision. Absolutely. Let me know if you don't like this service, I can give you this one. And it's all about options to give them the control back because then they're like, okay, this is something for me. When it comes to substance abuse, it's very much the same where if I am looking to relocate them to some kind of rehabilitation program, bringing them into that conversation so they don't feel that we are just putting them back out there. Like we don't want them either. That is not the case. It is, hey, what do you think about this facility? Or how do you feel about that? Um, It's really bringing them into the conversation because now we have not just trying to deal with that stigma of embarrassment around DV. We have embarrassment of potential withdrawals. Of We've had BPD episodes. We have had pretty much the entire range in the house at multiple times. So it's really about in, involving them in their plan. Okay. So during Domestic Violence Month, there are often events and campaigns that are very specific. So our resident outreach and engagement and event specialist extraordinaire, Maria, what do we have planned for this month? So we're going to be doing a silent walk on October 26th. It's going to be at 5.30 and we will start our walk from our main office the Wesley Shelter and go around the be- go around and we're going to stop at the courthouse where we'll have the sheriff department, the police department and our executive director speak about the importance of domestic violence awareness month and then we'll walk back to our office and we'll enjoy some refreshments for the community. As we walk, we're going to Of course, it's going to be a silent walk. We're going to honor the victims and the survivors of domestic violence. Another thing that we have done throughout downtown streets, we have tied up purple ribbons on the trees with our crisis line number and some domestic violence facts. So when people are walking by downtown, the courthouse, they can stop and read about domestic violence. Those that don't know about it, they can know that we are there get her phone number. Another thing we did was take back the night with Barton College. That was a domestic violence um, event that we were part of, releasing butterflies in honor of all the domestic violence victims. And we're also going to be doing Purple Day on the 19th. I will be going around Wilson to different organizations. And they, the staff and everyone is going to be wearing purple. And I'll take a picture of them and tag them on social media to let the community know that they support Wesley Shelter and domestic violence to bring awareness. So that and other 
events that I was able to go to as well. So that's what we're going to be doing. I have given out a lot of flyers and brochures about domestic violence that different people are putting them in their churches and their businesses just to bring awareness about Domestic Violence Month. So I want to charge all of our listeners today to wear purple this month. Wear purple, take pictures. If you want to tag Wesley Shelter, please tag Wesley Shelter. I'll put all of our information in the show notes. So if you wear purple this month, tag us in your pictures. We'd love to see how you are supporting victims and survivors all over for the month. And like I shared at the beginning of this month, because it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, do something nice for your domestic violence service organization and your community. Send them some flowers, make a donation, and say it's for general operating funds. Bake them some cookies and send them some cookies. Acknowledge your victims. Acknowledge the individuals that work with the victims. Wesley Shelter is 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If you are in the Wilson community, even if you're not in the Wilson community and you need resources for another community, give us a call. Our number is 252-291-2344. Someone is available day or night to support you. We're there. We are always available. But do something awesome for your domestic violence crisis shelter crisis line workers, shelter monitors, advocates, your lawyers that work in your DV agencies. Because this is hard work. So do something nice for your DV agency. Send an edible arrangement and say, hey, this is for all your hard work. Make them some cookies. A donation, like I said, is even better. But do something nice for your DV agency uh, this month because this work does not stop. At the end of the day, at five o'clock, when everyone else cuts off those office lights and goes home, domestic violence is still going on and we still have to address it. This is not a black or white issue. This is not a man or woman issue. This is a community issue and it takes a community to address this issue. Thank you so much for recording with me this evening I know y'all worked all day and Jen so graduated from her leadership academy this morning. I was able to be present and support her in that. And that was awesome. But Macy and I have been processing safe house stuff all day. And Maria's office looks like an event workshop all the time. So I appreciate you. And I appreciate you for spending this time and having this conversation with me this evening. And I guess I will see you all when I get back in the office next week. So, as always, radical self-care is health care and kindness is free. So do me a favor and be kind to someone today. But be kind to yourself first. I love you so much for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye.